if we can actively replace some of these food products that are unsustainable into the future, that's absolutely a massive win for the planet. And that's what really excites me. There is a, there is a great urgency for transformative change in agriculture. There will not be enough protein produced by food company, food production industry to feed the world. In this episode of Think Sustainability, we're talking about algae. It's the green slimy stuff you find at the beach, the tiny organisms floating around in our rivers and oceans. It also might just be the key to more sustainably producing our food. We take a look at how algae technologies are innovating the way we farm, fish and feed ourselves why we need to find new sources of protein, and when we might see algae hit the mainstream of our food industries. You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Sophie Ellis. Within the scientific community, algae has long been promised as the next big thing in biotechnology. The algae boom has been on the horizon for almost 10 years. But as the need to innovate our food production is becoming more immediate, the possibilities of algae technology are closer to realities. By 2050, the global population is expected to exceed 9 billion people. The United Nations estimates that we'll need to produce from 70% up to 100% more food globally in order to meet these growing demands. And we have to do so, all while reducing the emissions our food systems produce and relieving pressure on natural resources. This is where algae can step in, from reducing methane emissions and processing wastewater to preventing disease and creating planet-friendly feed for livestock. These algal biotechnologies are beginning to revolutionise food production. But first, what actually is algae? Algae are tiny photosynthetic organisms. Now, I said tiny because some of them are tiny, but then there's another group that everyone mixes up. That's the seaweeds and the macroalgae, and they can be you know, as big as a person. So most microalgae are single cells, and the other part of algae is the seaweeds, and so they're the things you see on the beach. Peter Ralph is a professor of marine biology and the executive director of the Climate Change Cluster at the University of Technology, Sydney. The cluster's algal biotechnology lab is developing a range of green technologies, including working with industry to try and solve one of the biggest problems in agriculture and aquaculture, feed. So some of the challenges with aquaculture is that we've got to have a new source of what's called fish meal. Fish meal is the protein source that is fed to, we'll call them carnivorous fish. We're, tr- we're taking perfectly good protein and feeding it to fish so that we can have these, these uh, carnivorous fish as our aquaculture products. What we can do with algae in the, the fish meal replacement is to provide the essential amino acids, the oils, the, the functional components, the higher value components, and have the bulk protein coming from another plant material. There's a lot of other cheaper plant materials, soy, for example, that you could use. 
So we're not necessarily talking about getting barramundi or salmon or or very common fish that we farm and we eat to be only eating algae. Yeah, and it's getting the omega threes. It's getting the the pigments in. You know, for example, our, our salmon. We we all love a nice pink salmon. Guess where the pink comes from? It comes from the microalgae that they eat. Now, unfortunately, at the moment, most of the pink salmon that we're having, that pink colours come from a petrochemical um, synthetic source. So we feed the salmon with a algal-based feed meal, and they get the right colour. Using algae to reduce the environmental impact of fish meal is still an emerging intervention in the aquaculture industry. In Australia, the CSIRO has been working with industry suppliers to develop an algal-based prawn feed that eliminates the need for fish meal. Globally, Europe is seeing these products developed on a much larger scale. In Australia, the agriculture industry is seeing a lot of traction in integrating algal-based feedstock. Australia is a major world player in livestock production. It accounts for around 10% of Australia's overall emissions. As Peter explains, algae could be part of the solution to lowering livestock emissions. The the current big ticket item is methane emission from beef. So there's a lot of work that's been done and there's a lot of work that's being done to reduce methane emission. Uh, There's a species of seaweed called asparagopsis that has been demonstrated to be highly effective at reducing the the methane emission, and it's a small percentage of their their daily diet. This is a a game changer for the cattle industry, and we're, we're currently, there's a range of different products that are being developed to reduce that methane. Introducing algae into cattle and sheep diets inhibits the pesky enzyme in their stomach that produces methane. The CSIRO has found that it takes including seaweed into as little as 1% of their dry diet to reduce the amount of methane that they produce, sometimes by more than 80%. Algae has the power to transform the way we farm, but is changing the feeds of agriculture and aquaculture industry just a band-aid on top of a fundamentally wounded food system? Peter Ralph says that it's a sustainable solution to part of the problem. My full name is uh, Dr. Graham Barnett. I'm the CEO and um, Managing Director of Cuponics Limited, a company based in Brisbane. Cuponics is a pure play algae, microalgae company. We um, cultivate microalgae in large outdoor raceway ponds. We harvest the algae and we extract the uh, oil from the algae, leaving a high protein byproduct. Algae won't just help us produce fish more sustainably, but also help by providing new ways to consume the nutrients that we get from fish, like omega-3. You might hear omega-3 and immediately think of fish oil. Well, turns out fish are not the only way we can get omega-3 into our diets. See, fish obtain omega-3 from microalgae. So as Dr. Graham Barnett says, if we remove the middleman, or should I say middle fish, then we can get this vital part of our diets straight from the source. Really, we need to look at alternative sources of um, harvesting EPA 
and DHA omega-3 without um, exploiting the oceans. So what marine microalgae industry, including Cuponics, is able to offer is the production of marine microalgae that have very high yields of omega-3 and we can grow these microalgae in ponds on land and, and spare the oceans. Omega-3 is something our body doesn't produce. We need to get this fatty acid for our cell membranes to metabolise properly. Dr Graham Barnett's process of using this algae to produce omega-3 is resource efficient and reduces our reliance on fish-based products. We grow it in outdoor ponds. It grows very rapidly. It grows like a weed, basically. It's very fast-growing. That speed of growth allows uh, a uh, production facility to harvest algae from our pond, a, a single pond every three days. The whole process recycles the water time and time and time again. It's worth mentioning that our microalgae production system is, is, is essentially it's a, it's a drought-proof system. We have no need for rainwater or irrigation water. Um, so we're using brackish tidal river water. Um, has no other purpose, has no other value to the farming community. So we we are offering a a drought-proof form of agriculture for Australia. The possibilities of these algae technologies in creating a sustainable future for our food production seems promising. But how effective are they in practice? When will we see these possibilities turn into realities? I've been in the aquaculture industry for the past 20 years, mostly running hatcheries around the world in the tropical strip. And I landed 10 years ago with my family here in North, beautiful North Queensland, should I say, and uh, working with Pacific Reef Fisheries, who's been a well-established prawn farm for the past 25 years. Bastian Finney is the Aquaculture Operations Manager at Pacific Reef Fisheries, one of Australia's only prawn farms currently using these algae technologies to responsibly farm their produce. So, so we're based in North Queensland uh, in a beautiful part uh, located next to the With Sundays um, between Townsville and Mackay. And we've got our main operations, the farm situated in Eyre. It's a 100 hectare facility. Um, on the coastline and another hatchery that's a bit south of here uh, at Guthalungra, where we grow our small prawns. Pacific Reef Fisheries produces just over a thousand tonnes of black tiger prawns a year. The prawn farm, like 70% of farmed prawn production in Australia, occurs alongside the World Heritage listed Great Barrier Reef and the Coral Sea. Permits have evolved in uh, Queensland over the past few years and and today aquaculture licenses are very different than what they used to be. And one of the conditions is that we need to return the water that we're using in its initial state, Uh, in other words, zero net discharge. Uh, We are pumping water from the Coral Sea, which is pretty pristine conditions next to the Great Barrier Reef. So the idea was to make sure that all the waste that was going to be generated from our grow-out activities was going to be clean from, from that discharge so that we could return it in its initial state. So Pacific Reef Fisheries, assisted by their parent company, Pacific Biotechnology, turned to algae in their clean water solution. It's a process called bioremediation, taking nutrients out of waste to create a reusable product. 
Peter Ralph, Professor of Marine Biology at the University of Technology, Sydney, explains. Land-based aquaculture where you've got a dam on a property and you grow barramundi or you grow prawns in it, the waste and the water coming out of that dam, if you don't remediate it and take the nutrients out, you empty that into the nearby creek, you're going to eutrophy the creek and you're going to have toxic algal blooms there. So what these companies are doing are stripping the nutrients out of the wastewater coming from the fish and the prawns and growing algae with it. And that's a fantastic circular economy. This is what the future will be, where we can take a waste product and turn it into something useful. So the wastewater, the the, the water that you've taken from the Coral Sea, it's polluted by the prawns as they grow. What then happens next? The water coming out of the ponds is channeled and stored into larger reservoirs. The whole filtration process, again, allows us to clean that water up and deliver it to what we call a hay trap, a high-rate algae pond. And the algae, through natural photosynthesis, is going to suck up those nutrients and convert them into biomass. So the water, initially, the plan was to send it back to um, the ocean. Uh, and I guess through the whole reasoning and thought process, uh, we were then questioning ourselves of, well, what's the point of sending it back to the ocean? If it's as clean as what it came through, why not reutilize it? Bioremediation does come with a price tag. Bastian says that, like introducing many sustainable practices, if you're the first one to implement it on a commercial scale, this can be costly. He says that part of the reduction to this price tag will come in due time with customer demand and widespread adoption. But for now, an emphasis on a circular economy model is key. Well, when when we started looking into the model and actually developing and having pilots on our farm, we suddenly realised we had a lot of product coming in. And and the next challenge was, what are we going to do with all this product? What we've recently developed is plant juice, um, which, is, which is a biostimulant. So we're growing this large biomass of ulva, uh, cleaning our waste. So the waste is converted into biomass. That biomass is then transformed into a biostimulant, a sort of a liquid fertilizer that goes back to the land. And this is where we're really meeting both ends of um, closing that loop. The waste is going back to the land, the land that we're taking some of these nutrients from to grow the wheat or the the soy that's required in some of the feeds that we use and therefore yeah limiting limiting that that cost Bastian says there are still some challenges in getting bioremediation and algae technology into the mainstream like finding the right land to grow into and marketing sustainable produce well to consumers The environmental side of our activities is more and more scrutinized by the general public and by local authorities or government and federal uh, agencies. So we know that we've got to um, make the the best of it and make sure that we're going to ensure the sustainability of our activity. Um, And so we're, we're slowly getting in touch with other Farmers, whether they're other species or fish, Barramundi is very interested in, in, in all these things because for our industries to grow, we really need to make sure that we're going to be looking after our environment a bit better than what we used to with 20 or 30 year old licenses.
algae technologies are not just changing the way we farm products we already eat, like prawns. They're also changing what we eat, like protein. We need protein to keep our bodies running. But with the population increasing, our protein sources are running out. There is a, there is a great urgency for transformative change in agriculture in Australia and globally. Uh, because by the year 2050, when the world's population is significantly higher than it is now likely to reach about 9.8 billion people, there will not be enough protein produced by food company, food production industries to feed the world. Because there is, there is clearly insufficient pastoral land and arable land to produce enough livestock and protein-rich crops to provide the protein. The increasing global demand for protein, alongside the pressures of a warming climate, means that we'll have to produce more protein-rich foods. As Peter Ralph explains, what we won't be able to produce more of will be meat. So as we all know, we need to, to you know, massively increase our food production over the next 20 years to feed the population. We're not going to be able to feed the population with meat um, functionally, we have to reduce our consumption of meat. So we need to have new sources of protein. And microalgae is a fantastic source of protein. Uh, these are called single-cell proteins. You can use yeast, you can use bacteria, or you can use microalgae. All three of them will, will sustain people, and we can make protein with these. And this is a really exciting frontier of feeding the population. Dr. Graham Barnett's work with Cuponics is one of a handful of companies developing alternative proteins for microalgae. And what Cuponics is addressing is using its protein-rich byproduct, which has the full complement of essential amino acids, so it is a complete protein. Um, that can be used as an alternative protein. Uh, independent analysis indicates that the protein content is up to 72%, which is very rich, approximately a 1,000 times greater protein productivity than, than, than beef farming and uh, 30 to 70 times greater productivity than chickpeas or soybean farming. How can this actually be used as an alternative protein? Like, What does it take to turn the byproduct into a consumable product? What kind of foods are we talking? We all know that when we go into supermarkets over the last two years, increasingly we've seen the non-meat, um, you know, the meatless meat, uh, alternatives on the shelves. Um, so, so what happens is the food companies, they buy in the meal or other well, or granules or whatever they buy in from, um, uh, from the wholesalers of uh, chickpeas and soybeans predominantly. And then they mix it with other substances to provide flavoring and color. So now you're seeing examples globally of uh, uh, beefless beef, uh, porkless pork, uh, chickenless chicken, fishless fish. Uh, all of those are becoming very popular. And from time to time, I actually do try them. And even at a restaurant recently, I tried an alternative protein. Um, I think it was meatballs or something, and it was delicious, absolutely delicious. Dr. Barnett is confident in a future where algal byproduct will be a part of this mix. A beefless burger fortified with the amino acid and protein makeup of microalgae. I see a future where company like Cuponics could expand quite significantly over the next 10 years um, to produce the proteins to feed Australia and to feed the world.
Peter Ralph says that the gourmet algae burgers and seaweed-enhanced schnitzels, though exciting, are not going to bring the kind of dietary overhaul we need. If we just had boutique algal-based products, uh, the planet will keep warming. If we can actively replace some of these food products that are unsustainable into the future, that's absolutely a massive win for the planet, and that's what really excites me. I think we're going to have beef and we're going to have meat for tens of years, decades to go. Um, The price of that meat is going to go up and it's going to be a luxury item. And I think diets are going to have to change so that we have smaller and smaller portions of real meat as we go on. And alternate proteins will become your Monday to Friday protein sources. That's functionally what my diet has become. I'm having alternative proteins five days a week. This is our future diet, I think. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your your own journey with with alternative meats. I was very sceptical to start with. I I didn't think it was possible that I could get the same flavours, the same mouthfeel, the same enjoyment out of eating uh, what I thought was going to be tofu. And it absolutely isn't. And, and, you know, I'm a full carnivore that I enjoy having a wide range of non-meat-based proteins for most of the week. Do you have any algae in that diet? Do you eat any seaweed or any algae-fortified products? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have chlorella in the morning. um, I have spirulina. So I I have a range of of algae in in my current diet. But uh, there's no large... um, algae products, but I do have alternate proteins. Would you like to see a future where there is more algae-based proteins in your diet? Do you feel like that is a more sustainable option than how you're eating now? Absolutely. I I, I wished I could try um, the, the alternate salmon. I wished I could try that. It's in Europe. Um, I have with the lockdown. I haven't been in Europe for the last two years, and I think this is going to be the future of of making our diet more sustainable, but giving us the diversity. So we're not eating um, sources of protein that are bland, boring, and don't have the same mouthfeel. Don't make us feel like we're we're having a nice experience. Um, these these products need to excite us. The capability of algae to make our food production more sustainable is clear, but getting these technologies to be widely adopted by industry is the next challenge. The consumers, those of us who buy fish, other meats and alternative protein products, might be a crucial motivator to creating this change. I think the the challenge to speed up the transition is in society's hands. Um, industry is capable, science is there, the solutions are there, provided we've got societal pull and demand by customers, the millennials are prepared to pay 10% more for a sustainable product. That's going to encourage industry to transform or transition very, very quickly. Dr Graham Barnett says the customer demand is there. The challenge in getting algae technology into the mainstream is expanding to commercial scales. What, what you have to do is have a, uh, not only a, a model that produces plenty of alternative protein, you've got to have a profitable model. So essentially, 98% of our revenue will come from the oil and no more than about 2% is likely is, is projected to come from the protein-rich byproduct. 
Um, in my view, uh, it's very, very difficult. It's probably impossible to be profitable selling uh, microalgae purely for its protein content. After introducing algae technologies at Pacific Reef Fisheries, Bastian Fenet found that customers are willing to pay that little bit extra for a product they know was sustainably grown. If the pros of algae technology can be communicated well to consumers, he says the demand for sustainable food will grow. Getting the right messaging, getting the right labelling is something that's very important for us. Getting the marketing right to make sure that people understand that there are great benefits in having a sustainably grown product. uh, And that that obviously comes with with a a, a little added um, cost to it. Ultimately, I think it'll come down to what the consumer wants. And if the consumer has this demand for a sustainably grown or sourced product, then I think that the industries will have to line up with that demand. And therefore, that will drive the development of these novel technologies. Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sophie Ellis. Thanks for your company.